right, and welcome in. It is another Tuesday night here. My name is Connor Riley. This is Connor in coverage, talking the latest in Georgia news, football, obviously, recruiting, anything else sort of happening within the world of Georgia sports. It's been a busy past, I guess, week. You know, obviously, you're coming off the Darian Kendrick and a Rick Gilbert highs a week ago, and then Sunday, you have the Brandon Turnage situation where it looks like he might be entering the portal, but he says hold off on that. You have them offering another defensive back. You have then on Monday, Big Bear Alexander announcing he is decommitted from the program. We're certainly going to touch on both of those topics tonight and what they mean. There's news coming out today that there is gaining steam for a potential 12-team playoff. The college football playoff committee is going to meet on that next week, and we'll get a better idea of where that stands there. We're going to touch on that a little bit tonight and how I think that ultimately impacts Georgia and really helps the program out in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. But again, busy time of news, busy time of year. Really, there's no offseason. Obviously, huge recruiting weekend on tap this past weekend. It's going to be a really big month of recruiting visits. So we'll cover all that on tonight's show. Obviously, we're going to take your questions there at the end of the night. If you have any, drop them in on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast platform, thank you. We have this up on Spotify, uh, Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play, really wherever you get podcasts. So we appreciate you guys downloading and subscribing there. We also do this 8 p.m. every uh Tuesday night on YouTube. I will say I will not be here uh, next Tuesday. I'm on vacation next week, so going to be off next week, but we've got a loaded show for you guys tonight, and so without further ado, let's dive into really a first thing, the thing that I, I sort of went back the last couple days and research went over and thought, all right, how do I advance this Bear Alexander story? Obviously, big news happens on Sunday, or excuse me, Monday, with him announcing that he is decommitting from the program. You see here... Uh, give me one second as I try and get this video-wise set up. You see him here with the statement he put out. He did visit Texas A&M this past weekend. Bear Alexander, I believe the number 26 overall player in the class, was at the time Georgia's highest-rated commit, saying, I am blessed and appreciate the opportunities that Georgia has offered me to be a part of the Bulldog family. The landscape of football has changed tremendously since I last visited with schools, and though still one of my top choices, I am officially decommitting from Georgia and reopening my recruitment. I want to thank Bulldog Nation for all the support over the time of my commitment. Hashtag Go Dogs. So, Bear Alexander decommits. Uh, you know, it's a loss for this Georgia class, a class that is going to sign up to five defensive linemen. And Alexander may have been the best in the country in terms of what he does and what he's able to do. He was in Athens that first week. I still think that's very telling that he made an effort to come to Athens first. That was his first visit. Got to meet Jordan Davis. Pictures were circulating online of that visit and how much he really appreciated. Obviously, you guys probably all saw the video interview Jeff Sintel did with him, and it sort of seemed like he was locked in into his decision. And, and Jeff, you know, and sort of citing sacred ground, compared him to a Richard the Count type figure in terms of this recruiting class. And anyone that knows Richard and and followed his role in that 2017 cycle, that's no small small compliment. That means a lot coming from Jeff. Alexander takes a visit to Texas A&M this weekend, hangs out with Nick Williams, the former Georgia support staffer, who's, I think, going to play a very important role in the recruitment of Alexander. Was there with Dion Bowie as well, a five-star current Georgia commit, now Georgia's highest-rated commit. He's also got close ties to Williams. So 
you know, I think if anyone was paying attention to this recruitment, it shouldn't come as a real surprise. This was always going to be a decision that even though he was pledged to Georgia, was going to go up until signing day and until he signed and arrived on campus. So the fact that he does decommit, while a little bit of a bummer, it's not exactly a huge surprise to anyone really following his recruitment and following the sort of ins and outs of this. And and again, I I do find it telling that he did say that he's still going to consider Georgia going forward. And I expect him to be back taking an official visit to Georgia. He was here on an unofficial. He's got officials, I believe, scheduled for Miami and USC. And that tells me that he just really wants to sort of see this whole process, which for these recruits that have been cooped up and haven't been able to go visit and meet coaches face-to-face, you understand that. You knew the visit to Texas A&M was always going to happen. You knew he was probably, given the proximity, him being from the Dallas area, was always going to take multiple visits to Texas A&M. But I would also point out that Georgia, I still think, has a chance to land him. Ultimately, do I think they do? Honestly, compels me to admit I don't. But Kirby Smart has been in this situation before. I, obviously, you know, when you recruit as well as Kirby Smart does, you're going to miss on some guys, and you're going to have some big-time recruits who ultimately decide to back out of your class and ultimately end up elsewhere. This is the fourth time since Kirby Smart has taken over as the head coach of Georgia that he's had a five-star prospect decommit from his program. And while it seems kind of crummy right now I think if you go back and look at some of those other guys those other five-star prospects that did decommit from Georgia and sort of how Georgia recovered and where they else went in that recruiting class I think you feel pretty good about Georgia's ability to recover and we'll sort of touch on this at the end with the guys Georgia can recover with and I would include Alexander in that as well but you have to go back to the 2019 class um, to really see the last time that Georgia had a five-star player decommit. And they actually had two decommit in about the span of the month. Uh, in October of uh, 2018, Jaden Hazelwood, who was a longtime Georgia commit at that point, backs off his pledge to Georgia. He ends up signing with Oklahoma. He was the number four overall player in the 2019 class, had a great career at Cedar Grove High School. And in that class, Georgia still ended up signing five-star wide receiver George Pickens, who they, who they added on National Signing Day after Hazelwood had already enrolled at Oklahoma. They had four-star Dominic Blaylock, who looked pretty good his freshman season before tearing his ACL injury. And then four-star wide receiver Makaya Tung, who has since transferred out of the program. They also brought in uh, Lawrence Cager as a grad transfer that year, and he had a strong season in his one year at Georgia as well. So even though they miss out on Hazelwood and the talent that he had, One, I think they did about as good a job recovering and bringing in still a strong receiving class. And two, Hazelwood hasn't exactly lit the world on fire at Oklahoma. Torres ACL last summer, only had four catches last season, and his first two years at Oklahoma has just 23 catches for 323 yards and a touchdown. So those numbers, again, a little bit worse than what Blaylock and Pickens have done. And so you feel pretty good about who Georgia was still able to bring in as a wide receiver in that 2019 class. The other guy that decommitted from that 2019 class was a skill position player of the five-star elk, and that would be John Emery Jr. Emery Emery Jr. was the uh, number two overall running back in that class. He was number 13 overall player in the 2019 class, according to 247 composite rankings. And after Emory Jr. decommitted, he ultimately ended up at LSU. Again, I think similar to Alexander, that's not a surprise given he was a Louisiana kid, backs off his commitment, ends up signing with the home state school there in LSU. Georgia rebounds and signs Kenny McIntosh after Emory decommitted. Now, McIntosh was in the mid-180s or in the mid-hundreds when he committed and signed with Georgia. But I think anyone that has followed Georgia and followed McIntosh in particular can say that he's outplayed that recruiting ranking. And if you conversely look at Emory Jr., 
He hasn't lit the world on fire at LSU. Has 566 rushing yards and seven touchdowns through two seasons. But while McIntosh has had to contend with guys like Kendall Milton, Zamir White, James Cook, Emory Jr. had a head and shoulders lead over everyone in terms of talent in that LSU running back room. You could say Clyde Edwards was hilarious, and you'd be correct there. But even then, he didn't have a great season last year for that LSU offense in terms of rushing productivity there. So you look at those two offensive skill players, guys that were Georgia counted on being big parts of this future offense. They decommit. George ends up, in Hazelwood's case, getting a five-star in George Pickens, who has been better than Hazelwood, though Pickens does have the ACL tailor this season that will, at the very least, limit him, and we'll see what he ultimately looks like if he ends up getting back on the field. And then a guy in Kenny McIntosh who, you know, Mike, yes, Mike Griffith, Kenny McIntosh is the best all-around running back on Georgia's roster right now. So you feel pretty good about how Georgia recovered there with those two guys. And again, I mentioned that those are two guys Georgia didn't end up getting. But there's still room and time for Georgia to get Alexander. Alexander did say he was going to consider Georgia. I expect him to take an official visit here. And while personally, and again, this is just speculation. It's not inside info. I don't think he ends up in Georgia's class. I think he ends up going and signing with Texas A&M, just given the connections and how bad Texas A&M, I think, really wants him. Not that Georgia doesn't want him to similar levels, but that is a guy A&M cannot afford to lose. Denyland Morris had a commit in Georgia's a current recruiting class and a guy who's been a very vocal recruiter on the recruiting trail sent out this tweet after the uh, Alexander news dropped. Don't worry about uh, that loss. We're going to get it back. Uh, and that is not at all how I should have said that, but there is sort of a history here with Georgia losing a five-star commitment and then getting him back. And it happened actually on the defensive side of the ball, going back to the 2018 class, Adam Anderson, uh, current Georgia outside linebacker, Ended up signing with Georgia, number 18 overall player in the class. Was at one point a Georgia commit, backs off that pledge, flips to LSU with a couple of his Rome high school teammates, but ultimately ends up back in Georgia's recruiting class. In that same 2018 cycle, and again, you can understand why Adam Anderson would consider a program like LSU, just given the guys, the edge rushers they have sent to the league, and also who Georgia signed as edge defenders in that same class. Brenton Cox, who obviously we don't need to touch on what happened with him at Georgia, but then Aziz Ojolari. That was a really talented group of edge rushers, of pass rushers that Georgia was bringing in. And Georgia was still able to convince Adam Anderson to come rejoin the class because they never sort of gave up on him and continued to build that relationship. Now, granted, Anderson was from Rome, Georgia. Alexander is from Texas, so you are sort of fighting against state lines there. But you look at Adam Anderson last year, six and a half sacks, and I think he can be one of the top pass rushers in the league this year. So... You know, the defensive track record there, Travion, Trey Scott is still, I think, an excellent recruiter for Georgia. And while, you know, Nick Williams is Nick Williams and there's nothing that can really be done about it at this point, Trey Scott's going to be at Georgia for a while. I don't know if I can say the same thing about Nick Williams. And, and I think that goes to speak on just how much, uh, how, how highly I think of Nick Williams. And I can give you a, a sort of real example here. Let's say Dan Lanning gets hired as a head coach somewhere next year. Group, a high, high power group of five, power five school potentially as well. I think that highly of Dan Lanning. I think, I think Nick Williams would be an excellent hire to go work with Dan Lanning or to possibly replace Lanning as the outside linebackers coach. It'll be interesting to see what Georgia does with its support staff or Will Muschamp, just given his notoriety and how well he's done on the recruiting trail. But 
uh, you know, it would not surprise me in the slightest if Nick Williams is only at AM one year and then next year he's an on-field position coach. That's kind of why maybe you think he makes the move that he does. And, you know, conversely, you look at a guy like Muschamp. Yeah, sure, we're not talking about Muschamp a whole lot right now, just given the news with regards to Alexander. But when you bring him in as a support staffer and you see the popularity that he has with prospects, like, say, a Kamari Wilson, a Keon Sapp, guys in the secondary, eventually that is going to play off. So if losing... If bringing in Muschamp meant that you ultimately end up losing a guy like Williams, that is going to have some effect on your program. And I, I said on Brandon Adams' show this morning, it's sort of like a tax. Uh, what Muschamp tax? It costs you Nick Williams. But at the end of the day, you know, Bear Alexander, whether you get him or not, Georgia's still going to have to sign really talented defensive linemen. Guys like Michael Williams, who already visited Georgia. Christian Miller is a name to know now, especially following Alexander's decommitment. Travis Shaw, uh, someone who I believe came in at the number three overall player in Rivals, updated recruiting rankings. So you're going to have to sign a lot of those guys. Walter Nolan as well. And Georgia stands in a great position with all those guys. So while Alexander might be a unique talent and could very easily be the best defensive lineman in this class, I still think Georgia is well positioned as it sits right now on June 8th to recover from the decommitment that Alexander made. Again, it's not like this happens on December 16th, and then he's at Texas A&M the next day. Georgia's got time to continue to work the relationship, not just with Alexander, but with other players in the class. So as recent history has shown us here, is it the best thing in the world for Georgia? No, but they've shown they've been able to recover and in some cases even bring the prospect back in to the fold for that recruiting class. So yes, the Alexander news stinks, but it's not exactly the end of the world here. So... That'll be our first topic for the night. Uh, my name is Connor Riley. This is Connor in coverage. If you've got questions, ask them. We'll get to them at the end of the show. Uh, busy time. Obviously, we touched on Alexander News there at the top. We're going to touch a little bit here on playoff expansion going up. And then in this at the end of the show, last segment, we're going to do defensive backs. Darion Kendrick, uh, first photos of him on campus today coming out. We'll share those with you guys as well. But our next topic of the night, and again, if you have questions, go ahead and ask them and get them in there. Possible playoff expansion. Uh, there was a report today from Pete Thamel, which had sort of backed up something that had been reported in The Athletic uh, back in April by Andy Staples and Stuart Mandel, that the current favorite for playoff expansion is a 12-team model. And, oh no. Well, so I had a uh, full screen ready to be made and read off of, but it looks like I did not import that. But essentially, what Thamel had said is that the... The 12-team model is gaining steam among both TV executives and conference commissioners. And I think there are a couple of reasons for this. From the TV commissioner side, they just want more playoff teams because that's more inventory. It's more games. It's more ratings, more viewers, more things of that nature. It's a more chance to sell advertisements. It's more. These teams are the, yes, the, the TV networks, ESPN, Fox, they're going to want more games. And if you're on the team side, there are a couple conferences that are more motivated to get more teams and more specifically automatic qualifiers into the college football playoff. If you look at the Big 12 and in, this, in the Pac-12 as well, they want an automatic qualifier because unless you're Oklahoma, you've had a hard time if you're from that league consistently getting into the college football playoff. So now if you turn your de facto conference championship game, which makes those all the more interesting, into your automatic berth, that is going to get you into the college football playoff and guarantee you a spot in there every year. I would also point out that if you're a Power 5 team as it currently exists right now, you do not have a chance to win your way to, to into the college football playoff. You just don't. Uh, the way the college football playoff is currently set up is incredibly restrictive and is really only set up for 
maybe eight, nine, ten teams in a given season to make the college football playoff. But if you do open that up and do put in, say, an automatic qualifier, I do think that opens up more teams. And ultimately, I think that helps the sport because I think what we've got right now is a bit of an oligarchy, an oligarchy where essentially a few elite programs, and I would even include Georgia among them, have real control of not just getting into the college football playoff, but the trickle-down effect of that, of getting the top recruits. And if you're able to show more schools that are able to get in the playoff in a somewhat consistent manner, it's going to make those schools more appealing to recruits. And so at the end of the day, if you're able to disperse the talent a little bit there, I do think that's going to help. Obviously in the SEC as well, and I'll pull up David Hale had a great screen grab today with some great information. I'm not sure how much, how well you guys can all read this, but sort of what it would look like since 2014 if they had gone to a 12-team expanded league. And really, I mean, obviously those first two years when Kirby Smart wasn't at Georgia, Georgia was close in 2014, but nowhere really near the playoff. But if you look at the last couple of years, they would have made it in every season starting back in 2017. And so I think the 12-team model, if you're the SEC, it gets you not just to two or three teams, but possibly even four in some years. Like this past season, you were seeing, I think, Florida, Georgia, Texas A&M in the college football playoff to go along with Alabama. So if you're the SEC, you're on board with that as well. And I think the Big, 12, the Big Ten as well, because in more years than not, a Wisconsin, a Michigan, a Penn State, I think the clear second-best team in the Big Ten is going to end up getting into the playoff. Now, does this ultimately create more parity, create more champions? I don't know. I, I think the last three seasons, certainly the last two with Alabama and LSU, nobody was beating those teams. But, you know, you think back to, say, 2017 when it was Georgia-Alabama in the title game. Could one of those teams get have gotten upset in an early round game and maybe we have a different title title winner or something along the lines of that? I I'm Potentially. And ultimately, I think that's the big thing of you know, the, the consequences of this because expansion is inevitable, whether it be eight teams or 12 teams. I think that's coming. I would personally go to 12 because again, I think if you, and I understand there, there are pros and cons on both sides. If you go to 12, I think you get less bickering and less subjectivity about who should be in the field. And you have a little bit more concrete evidence of, Hey, these are the, these are the teams we think we should get in because you're not going to as intensely argue about the 12th or 13th best team compared to say the, the eighth and ninth best team. And I think that these conferences are really going to push for both an automatic qualifier from each power five conference and the highest ranked group of five team to get into the college football playoff. Well, as it's currently set up, that doesn't happen. You have four wild card berths or four at large berths, so to speak. So if you go to the automatic qualifier route, you have six of those, but then you only have two sort of at large berths. And that is going to make things more difficult. I think even for an sec program, because for one, more often than not, if you go to an 18 playoff, Notre Dame is going to be in the college football playoff almost every season if they don't have a, just a, a bottom feeder year like they did in 2016 because they can maneuver their schedule and set it up in a way where they're playing enough big games but still have the talent and things rolling to where they're going to be one of those at-largers more often than not. And then, I mean, you're really just essentially, in my opinion right now, granting a second SEC team access. And so because of that, sure, that's Georgia some years, but this past year it wouldn't have been. And there are even other years, you think back to 2017, I mean, even if Georgia had lost to Auburn, there's a case to be made that Alabama would have gotten in the playoff over them, even though they won their division and Alabama had not. So I think the 12 team, it, it reduces the argument, but the, the counterpoint to that is that it does add games to the schedule. And, it, you know, again, these are student athletes still. Well, I don't know if they call them student athletes anymore with, with shamaturism, but these guys are still young players and 
theoretically, if you're like, say, the sixth seed, as David Hale outlined today, you could end up playing 17 games in addition to the 12-game regular season schedule, the conference title game, and then the four possible playoff games. So that is something to be wary of and mindful of. I just think with 12 versus 8, I think it's less arguing over who belongs in the playoff field. I think we get a little bit more parity. You satisfy the TV side with more games, more revenue, more money, uh, more, uh, blanking on the word, uh, more inventory. But from that standpoint, I just think 12 is going to be the way to go. You still place value on the top four because they'll get by games and I think that or by weeks, off weeks, so to speak. And that'll play a really big role. I think it's going to increase interest in those conference championship games because while the SEC one has always had a lot of interest, especially when Georgia seems to be playing it because that always sort of functions as a quarterfinal for the college football playoff. If you could replicate that for every conference title, I think that's good for the for the sport as a whole. Now, does that is that necessarily what everyone wants? I, I don't know. Again, I think college football is very much a regional sport, and this idea that you can make it into a national thing, I just think it's sort of fool's gold. So we'll see what ultimately ends up happening. This committee, uh, the, the research for this is set to be presented to the college football playoff committee next week. The current college football playoff goes through the 2025-2026 season. And it'll be interesting to see if whether or not ESPN is willing to rip up its current contract to renegotiate, redo a new one, to get more money now, and also expand the playoff from that. Or if they're just going to be content to sit on it and wait until the, 20, until the end of the current contract. But again, it's interesting. I think it's fascinating to see how all this is going to play out. Ultimately, I think regardless of whether or not it goes from 8 to 12 or 16, 6 even... I think expansion is good for Georgia because I think, again, with Nick Saban going to be at Alabama now until 2028, he's not going anywhere. And so, again, more bids, I think, is more bids ultimately for the SEC, which is continuing to be one of the best conferences in this sport. Actually, excuse me, the best conference in this sport. And so if you're the second best team in the SEC every year, that's going to get you into a college football playoff expanded, expanded membership more often than not. So that's our second topic there for tonight. We touched on possible playoff expansion. We looked back at recent five stars that decommitted in a similar manner to Bear Alexander. I will point out the Alexander decommitment happened earlier in the cycle than both. Ooh, that's some thunder. So, you know, the usual summer thunderstorms here in Atlanta where it looks sunny one minute and raining the next. Uh, without further ado, we'll move on and make an awkward transition into our final topic of the night. And again, if you guys have questions, Go ahead, ask away. We'll get to those at the end of the show here. But uh, our final subject of the day, what Darian Kendrick means to Georgia. If you were paying attention to social media today, you saw an Instagram potentially from Mr. Kendrick himself showing up in Georgia's locker room. I believe this is the first visual evidence that we have that Kendrick is in Athens. Obviously, report comes out, not report, confirmed that last week he is a member of this Georgia secondary, this Georgia defense now, filling a huge need for the Bulldogs. He's a guy that comes to the program, 23 career starts in his time at Clemson, 39 career games played, has experience that, quite frankly, no one else on this roster has in the sense that he's played in three college football playoff games. And while, yes, he hasn't played great against LSU or Ohio State uh, in the last two college football playoff games that he's been in, I don't think that experience is something to be discounted. And then you even spin that forward to that first game against Clemson. Well, yes, he has struggled against elite teams and elite passing offenses, Keely Ringo, Jalen Kimber have zero career starts. Amir Speed, zero career starts at that cornerback position. And so, Kendrick, in addition to just having knowledge of what guys like EJ Williams, Justin Ross, Frank Lasden, 
Joe Nada are going to be able to do. He's played in big games before, and I don't think that's something that can be discounted. And so you bring him in, you bring in a guy like Tyke Smith, you bring back safeties in Lewis Seen and Chris Smith. I think Georgia, what they've really gone out and done this offseason is really raise the ceiling of their defensive backfield. Uh, obviously, it was, I think, the biggest concern back in January. And I think the first game of the season, it still is the biggest concern in my eyes. I still wonder what that floor will be for the first game because so much of, of playing in, the, in Kirby's defensive backfield, as we saw last year against Florida, it's not just having the skill to match up man-to-man and one-on-one coverage. You have to be able to play on a string with the other defensive backs. When Richard LeCount went out, Georgia didn't have their key communicator back there. And Georgia just got burnt over and over and over again on wheel routes. And so it, these guys, in addition to having the talent to be able to hang with these wide receivers, they have to be able to communicate and work well with each other. And how that develops over the course of this summer into the fall, I think is going to be really important for this Georgia secondary in that first game against Clemson. Quite frankly, if Georgia was opening against, say, UAB, and then they played South Carolina and then Vanderbilt and then played, say, Clemson in the fourth game of the season, I don't know if the secondary is the same level of concern that it is at the first game of the season. But because they open up with a Clemson, because they're playing DJ Uyunglele, because they're playing that possibly potent Clemson passing offense, I think because of that, there is a little bit more concern. Whereas I think the end of the season, quite frankly, I don't think the defensive backfield is a game 13 issue. I think it's a game one issue where, yeah, it'll, it, it, won't, it might not be great to start the season. And it might take some time to gel and come together. But by the end of the year, I think Kirby Smart is going to like where he has his defensive backfield set up and ready to play. So Kendrick is a guy, has great experience, and is really the one area he does excel in is playing zone coverage. And granted, Clemson doesn't do it a lot. But that's something that Georgia wants to play more of, and I think that might benefit to Kendrick's to, to Kendrick's strengths is because you're not asking him to go out there and defend stud receivers in one-on-one situations. And so if he's able to bring that zone coverage ability and Georgia's able to use him successfully, I think this can be beneficial to both Kendrick and Georgia, who with Kendrick at Clemson, obviously he has the arrest after he's dismissed, but it sounded like those two parties had just decided that it was it was better for both of them to go their separate ways. And, you know, Dabo Sweeney might not love that he's at Georgia, but when he dismissed Kendrick, he had to absolutely know that this was a possibility that he would end up at a program like Georgia and ultimately playing for the Bulldogs. That's Kendrick is that talented. There was a, I mean, there are NFL scouts that think he's a potential first-round draft pick just because of his athleticism alone. So he had to understand that this was something he was going to possibly see. And if you're Georgia, you use this to your benefit. I don't expect him to know the playbook or or what Clemson is going to do game plan wise that first game against Georgia. But I think the biggest thing that he brings, it isn't his high upside or his cover skills. It's just the experience that he has and he's going to be able to plug in and you're not going to have to worry about is this moment too big for him. And so now you go look at that other side and you say, all right, we can be we can bring guys like Keely Ringo and Jalen Kimber and Amir Speed along at a more comfortable rate where we're just sort of not throwing them into there on the deep end. Now, obviously, you have the Brandon Turnage news that comes out this this weekend where there have been multiple reports, including Dog Nation, have confirmed that he had re-entered the transfer portal. Turnage comes out and says, well, don't believe the rumors just yet. And then shortly after that, they send out a, an offer. Georgia sends out an offer to 
Tulsa transfer defensive back, Caleb Williams, or Caleb Evans, excuse me, who had already put out a top five of Notre Dame, Missouri, Texas, Texas Tech, and Jackson State. So Georgia's defensive backfield, while bringing in Kendrick, I think does answer the biggest question in terms of where is the experience of that cornerback position. Kirby Smart is not done yet sort of sorting everything out and making this defensive backfield into what he ultimately hopes it to be. He knows he's still probably one or two pieces away, along with the key developments of guys like Ringo and Kimber, over the course of the season. So it was certainly something to follow. I think, you know, if, if Turner wants to remain at Georgia and understand what his role is going to be, he'll be here. If he thinks he wants to, if he wants to be a pure number one starting cornerback option, he's probably going to have to look elsewhere because I think that's why Georgia brought in Kendrick to be that guy for this secondary. So again, while Georgia off, Georgia looked great and settled last week. Eh, it's not exactly the case with the Kendrick with uh, the Brandon Turnage news, and obviously on the recruiting trail, while there's excitement that visits are picking up back again. You had a great offensive haul in taking official visits this weekend with guys like Kojo Intui, Oscar Delp, Branson Robinson, not to mention commits in Denylon Morissette and Gunnar Stockton. Then you have the Alexander D commitment, but it's still an incredibly busy month. Georgia's going to have a huge recruiting opportunity later in this month with a couple guys from IMG Academy. So. Busy, busy time around the Georgia program. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you've got questions now, go ahead and post them. We'll start answering that. We've got about 28, 29 minutes here so far. So hope. Oh, no. Uh, it looks like Dion Bowie has decommitted from Georgia. So uh, Bowie in, uh, in I got to work on the fly here to text Jeff. Uh, but yeah, so Dion Bowie has decommitted from Georgia. Um, per his Instagram, of course, right when we're live here. He was in Texas A&M this past weekend. Uh, excuse me. All right, there we go. Uh, he was in Texas A&M this past weekend with Nick Williams, with Bear Alexander. Uh, again, Bainbridge native, same as Williams, same as Kirby Smart as well. George Race now lost two five-star commitments this week. That is a really tough look for this Georgia program and for the recruiting class. And again, I think you can tie this all back to Nick Williams. Uh, very, you know, again, a very important in the recruiting factors of those guys. And so because of that, you have, you know, the decommitments that you have seen. Bowie, the number 29 overall player in the class. Georgia has now seen their top two prospects decommit from the Georgia program. And so you have that. Obviously, Alexander and Bowie are tight. They pretty clearly formed a bond at Texas A&M this past weekend. I think that's going to be one where I still think Georgia has a much better chance of landing him back in the class, just given his proximity and given the position that he plays. So, again, breaking news here. Dion Bowie decommits from Georgia's second decommitment from, from a five-star prospect this week. Breaking news. I'm pulling you guys' comments up right now. I'm sure you are less than thrilled at this development, but, hey, this is what happens sort of when covering things. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, got a four or four dogs. Nick leaving, Nick Williams leaving Georgia has hurt the class early on. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's an undeniable fact when you have two five-star prospects, guys who are as talented as Bowie and Alexander choose to make that decision. So we'll sort of see how this develops and how this processes and if Georgia can get Bowie back in the class. But, you know, he was a guy that had been considered very solid to Georgia prior to visits opening up prior to Nick Williams heading back to Texas A&M or heading to Texas A&M, excuse me. So uh, big turn of events here with Dion Bowie announcing that he is decommitted from the program per his Instagram account. And so that's just not great. 
Uh, it, it has not been a great uh, sort of run of run of things with Georgia on the recruiting trail this week. And, and it's really, again, I think you can tie a lot of this back to Nick Williams, who, again, we've written about this before. We've talked about it. And he was a key recruiter for Georgia, for guys like Lewis Seen, for guys like Keely Ringo. He was an absolute asset to this Georgia program. And he makes the decision to go to Texas A&M. Now, we don't know the, the backstory, why, what led to this, or what led to him going to Texas A&M. But it's pretty clear right now that has helped Texas A&M, certainly in its standing with Bowie, with, um, with uh, Big Bear Alexander. And it's hurt Georgia because you've had your two top commits entering this week back off their pledges in back-to-back days. And so because of that, I think it's really, really difficult right now for Georgia to, to sit here and say that, yeah, we could have absorbed the loss of Nick Williams. Now, as I laid out at the beginning of this show, again, Kirby Smart's lost five-star commitments before, and he has proven that, A, they can recruit, B, they can get them back in the class, potentially, as was the case with Adam Anderson. So as tough as this is right now, back-to-back days, Georgia losing a five-star commit, notably after they both visited Texas A&M, and Nick Williams, who was down there in College Station. There's still a long way to go. In fact, you're going to see a, probably a, a you know good amount of guys decommitting and backing off pledges around the country, just given these guys are allowed to go visit campuses. They're allowed to go see places elsewhere. Now, the buoy was considered rock solid, and now he's probably a much more contested recruitment. Texas A&M, Florida State, a name to monitor there as well. Probably Florida going to try and get involved in the commitment of Dion Bowie. So, again... Breaking news here, Dion Bowie decommits from from Georgia, second decommitment this week, second five-star decommitment. Both of those decommitments were at Texas A&M. So because of that, you know, obviously it's a tough look here for Georgia on the recruiting trail of late. But again, we're months out from National Signing Day. Georgia's got plenty of time to get back in the good graces with both Bowie and Alexander. These guys are going to take their times, I think, and make their decisions when they feel more comfortable with it. Uh, Anthony Spano tomorrow's uh, Dog Nation Daily will need some tissues. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, got a four or four dogs. Why didn't Kirby try harder to keep Nick Williams? Uh, that's a good question, and we don't know the answer to that right now. We even got a chance to talk to Kirby since Nick left for Texas A&M. Uh, you know, Georgia brought in its own high pro- hope, high profile support staffer and will must champ this offseason. And so you, part of your wonders, are you paying sort of a tax, so to speak, by bringing him in and, and saying, hey, this is a guy who we can have in our program for a few years, and did that potentially cost you a Nick Williams? Uh, or is Nick Williams doing what's best for his own career and branching out out of, out of Georgia? Again, he played at Georgia, understands this program very well, from Bainbridge, Georgia, the same high school and hometown of Kirby Smart, and maybe trying to set himself up to where he is attractive, not just to coaches that he has worked with, but a wide net of coaches as he tries to get into that on-field coaching role because this is a guy that is pretty clearly very well thought of by both Jimbo Fisher, a title-winning coach at Texas A&M, and Kirby Smart, a guy who is, I think, knocking on the door of winning a national title. And so Nick Williams, I, th- I think this has pretty clearly had a, a very big impact on this Georgia program. So Trevor Bond points out, yes, UJA can still have a top-four class. They could end up with both Bowie and Alexander back in the class. I wouldn't rule them out. But again, I, I think you can directly, report, directly point to Nick Williams and the impact that he had on Bowie and Alexander and sort of say, okay, this is, this is the tax with losing him. This is what that meant. And you know, could Georgia end up with both Alexander and Bowie back in the class? Absolutely. But you know, that's something that we're going to have to wait and see if they're able to do that or if Williams himself is able to end up and bring these guys into the class. One thing I would say, though, is 
come December when coaching carousels heat up, would not surprise me in the slightest if Nick Williams is leaving Texas A&M because he's accepted an on-field coaching role somewhere. Could that be possibly at Georgia? It depends on what happens, I think, with Dan Lanning and some other members of the defensive staff. But he's absolutely a guy who I think is going to make his way into an on-field coaching role and really help a program out as he did so at Georgia with guys like Keely Ringo and Lewis Seen and is already clearly doing so at Texas A&M with guys like Big Bear Alexander and Dion Bowie, who, again, refreshing the news here, uh, Alexander decommits on Monday. Bowie decommits tonight. Two five-star prospects decommit in back-to-back days. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not the end of the world. These guys have not committed. They have not signed anywhere else yet. But I think it's pretty clear that this is the impact that Nick Williams had on the Georgia program. So, um, Let's see. Well, Brian Kepar brings up that um, you, know, you, you trade that a recruiter for a better on-field presence and must champ. Muschamp's not going to be on the field this year. He is in a support staffer role, and so it sort of is a one-for-one. Um, and so because of that, we'll sort of see what role Muschamp ends up having. It will not be as an on-field assistant this year. And again, similar to Williams, it wouldn't surprise me if Muschamp is coaching somewhere else on-field elsewhere come the end of the season. So, uh, you know, it's not a one-for-one trade. They brought in... They brought in Muschamp and they brought in Williams. I mean, it, theoretically, Georgia had the money in the positions. They could have kept both Williams and Muschamp. And so why Williams ultimately ended up doing what he's doing, uh, you know, that'll be a great – that'll be a question to ask Kirby. And, you know, I, I doubt he'll get into it or he almost certainly won't. But, again, that's something to, to pay attention to. Uh, Cisco Hurtado, again, yeah, this is a great point. Nothing is final until they sign. It's all about National letter of intent, not NIL. That, that, NIL is name, image, and likeness. National letter of intent is NLI. Uh, you will not be the first person to get tripped up by that, and I can assure you uh, that'll happen quite often. Uh, yes, JC Gobble, a uh, great point. These kids are processing a ton of information. Yeah, there's a lot changing and moving really quickly with these guys just getting to see schools now. It's something they didn't get to do. A lot of these 22, 2022 prospects hadn't even seen programs. Oscar Delp, for example, who was at Georgia this past weekend, had not seen a college campus uh, in terms of meeting the coaches, getting to see and tour the facilities. So again, it's a lot of newness. It's a lot being thrown at these guys at one time. So you certainly understand why they feel that they would back off uh, those pledges there. But so uh, Big Bear Alexander decommits. You have the news that Dion Bowie has decommitted as well. Uh, we'll probably wrap up there. I got to go work now. Uh, but again, busy 24 hours for Georgia on the recruiting trail. A lot of stuff. Stay tuned to Dog Nation. You've got Jeff Sintelum before the head just tomorrow night. I'm sure he'll have you guys scattered, smothered, covered, and chunked with all the latest recruiting news. Much deeper and better than I could give it to you. You'll have Brandon Adams Monday through Friday, uh, Dog Nation Daily. You have Mike Griffith with On the Beat. No cover for this week, but again, we're going to have a ton of stuff for you guys. Content obviously never stops as it happened during this show. Uh, you see the decommitment of Dion Bowie. So. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. My name is Connor Riley. Again, if you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, I should say we do this 8 p.m. every Tuesday night, except for next Tuesday when I'm on vacation. And then we also have this as a podcast. You can get it on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, SoundCloud, wherever you get them. We'll usually have that up and posted for you early tomorrow morning. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in once again. My name is Connor Riley. It's been Connor and Coverage, and it just goes to show recruiting never stops and it never sleeps.